We wish to inform some of the content in today's episode may not be suitable for children. If the episode raises any concerns for you, contact your local mental health service. And for listeners in Australia, call Lifeline on 13 11 14. Welcome to Mind and Soul Matters, I'm Farah Feeney. Through conversations with everyday people, Mind and Soul Matters aims to broaden our understanding of mental health and spirituality and to deepen our insights into the challenges and meaning of our lives. Our guest today is Varad, who joins me to share his personal story of losing a dear friend to suicide and the effect it has had on his life. Suicide leaves a devastating impact on families, friends and whole communities. Here are some distressing facts and behind each number is a human life. Suicide is the leading cause of death for Australians between the age of 15 and 44. Globally, at least 1 million people are estimated to die each year by suicide. For each life lost, the impacts are felt by up to 135 people. It's an issue that rips through our soul. And sadly, youth suicide rates are rising, particularly in young men. Welcome, Vara. Thank you for joining me to speak about one of the most devastating social issues, youth suicide. Thanks for having me, Vara. Tell us about your friendship with Michael. My friendship with Michael was one that was very dear to me. It started back in year seven or eight when we were doing our first drama production together. He had had quite a bit of experience in the drama world before that, whereas it was kind of like my first show. And I remember coming in for the first rehearsal with him. We were on stage together for the first time in the scene and I'd done all the prep work before for that scene. I'd learned all my lines, whereas Michael was always blasé. That was always the way he went about things. So he hadn't done much preparation. And when we came on stage for the first time, he's absolutely stumbled his way through the lines. And he was much bigger than me. As he, that, was, that was the other thing with Michael. I think everyone always thought he was a lot older than he was. I, I thought this guy's two years older than me when I first met him. So I think teachers always treated him like he was a bit older, so he wasn't cut as much slack. So he didn't. He got a bit of a stern talking to, and it wasn't great. He kind of just like left, like with a bad look on his face on that rehearsal. But he came back the next week, and he absolutely blew everyone out of the park. And it's not like in that week between that first and second rehearsal, he absolutely like hammered his lines. But he probably just looked at his script a few times, and he just smacked everyone and I remember just seeing him that second week and I was like wow this this is what real drama is like for most kids in year seven and eight being on stage just projecting to the audience is hard enough like audience members have to be like oh what what did they say with Michael he had this way of commanding the stage and that was the type of person that he was but it was it was as time went on we started to form a really special friendship doing a lot of drama together and then when I'd moved into our new house, I remember asking him one day in science, I said, Mike, I'm moving house, but I'll be taking this new bus route to school. It's the 24 bus route. What, what bus route do you take? And he just stared at me. He's like, dude, I take the 24 bus route. And it's such a small thing, but it was so special because then for the final three years of our schooling together, every day we got to take the bus to and from school. And that was really special because as we got older, we started to do separate classes, but 
there's honestly something really quite special about seeing your mate at the start of the day and the end of the day. It's almost like, you know, you see your family at the start of the day, you see them at the end of the day mm. with school. So I'd see him and often I'd get on the bus first and when we'd travel, he would get on the bus next and he'd always look, he wouldn't, he'd always be like, oh, we have to go to school kind of thing. I would always purposely be like overly optimistic and overly zealous because I knew it would annoy him. He'd be like, we're just going to school kind of thing. And it, it was just really special that that relationship we had. We were always trying to kind of get get on each other's nerves a bit. But then after school as well, we could have a bit of a debrief. He would always reach the bus stop before me on the way back from school. And when I'd walk around the corner, I could see, you could kind of tell what kind of day the other person had. I think the fact that we got to do that every day is what kept our friendship so strong. I remember in in year 10, I said to Michael, in one of my things trying to like get on his nerves a bit, I said, Michael, when we finish year 12 together in three years time, I'm going to pick you up at the final valedictory assembly because Michael's much bigger than me, much bigger than me. I said, I'm going to pick you up and I'm going to say, Michael, we did it because that would always be what would happen. The year 12s would gather on the chapel forecourt and they would have all these celebrations. So literally for those three years, from year 10 to year 12, so often it would become a running joke. I would remind him, Mike, there's only two years now until I lift you up. There's only one year now, only six months. Literally until the day that my mum was recording the moment I picked up Michael on the spot and said, we did it. So you had a very close bond and it started in year seven when you had that connection through drama, but then it really solidified through your bus trips. Yeah, absolutely. Every single day of school. Yeah. Beginning and end. Absolutely. And the month of February in 2021 was kind of when everything started to go really downhill for Michael. So just to clarify, Varad, you both graduated from high school, year 12, in 2020. Yeah. Yeah. And then and then, so this was the Australian summer, the summer holidays yeah. for just before starting university in February. Yeah. Mm-hmm. So those holidays at the end of 2020, so we finished school in November 2020, mm-hmm. after the waste exams, we had such a good time. We were catching up at our favourite restaurant, Mickey's and stuff. We were doing tons of things. We The week before open day, so then coming now to February, we were like Snapchatting each other with what we're going to do in the open day, in the open week at UWA. They've got all these activities and we're like, which ones are we going to hit together? And you're both planning to go to the same university, University of Western Australia, yeah, UWA. Same, yeah, same university. And in fact, it was exactly one year ago today that he'd sent me this message, which I still have actually printed out in my room because it's a bit it's a bit of a reminder but in that message she basically said hi Virat I need to talk to someone I don't know what to do I don't get enjoyment out of anything anymore and I'm really quite depressed I just feel like no one cares about me I'm sorry to put this on you man but I need help I feel so alone so those were the exact that was the exact message you sent to me in one on the 8th of Feb and in hindsight, looking back on that message, you know, he, he pretty much displayed like four signs of potential suicidal symptoms, you know, feeling alone, depressed, not getting enjoyment out of the things that he once did, but also actively seeking help, like saying, I need help. And, and to be fair to me, I, I, did, I did meet with him and stuff and I, I was like, let's talk about it. But... I think that was the mistake that I made, which I think a lot of people make, is that he'd just broken up with his girlfriend. So I assumed 
oh, he's just feeling bad because of the breakup, which is true. I mean, a lot of people go through that rite of passage of, of your first breakup, but I think a lot of people tend to undervalue that experience a bit, like, oh, you'll get over it kind of thing. And that's kind of the way I saw it, kind of probably didn't treat it with enough respect as it deserved. It was more like, let's talk about it, let's cheer you up. I didn't realise it was it was much deeper than that. But anyway, the rest of February went on. 19th of Feb, we went for open day together at UWA. Was there any signs on that day that things were not okay for Michael? You know, I don't think so. I think I think looking at the rest of February, there are other days where it was much more prominent. Right. So it was more. something that went up and down. Yeah. Mm-hmm. And that's that's often what happens. But that, that day he honestly seemed so happy. And mm-hmm. he was excited. He was like, oh, we're going to do this here. We're like, We'll have our lunch here, we'll catch up. So on that day, there were no signs of it at all. And so what happened? Yeah, so push forward to 22nd of February, there was an incident involving Michael where he was accused of doing something he didn't do. And for someone who was already struggling with their mental health, basically what happened is no one really supported him. I mean, everyone kind of believed Michael's done this, Michael's done this. And, and the truth is that he didn't do it. And it was only kind of discovered after he passed away that he didn't do it. And it was something within the social context yeah, of your friendships? absolutely. Yeah. Mm-hmm. So that was a big knockout blow for Michael because he was already struggling. He'd already said, I'm feeling alone. I feel like no one likes me, no one supports me. And then for his, none of his friends to really get around him or, or, or back him up or at least give him the benefit of the doubt, it was a real, I mean, I his mum was telling me after that he was just that week because that was 22nd Feb. He took his own life on the 1st of March, a week later. He was just in tears that whole week. He he, he was like, I can't show my face at university. People are going to talk this, that, you know. And that's when it all just took a drastic decline. Did you my, see him during that week at all? We were meant to catch up during that week. And on the morning, it was a Tuesday, the night before, we were talking about catching up at Varsity in Netherlands. And in that morning, he said, oh, sorry, I can't catch up. I'm just not feeling well. And that was that was something I really could have picked up on that I missed. Mm. He said, I'm just not feeling well, maybe another time. And it sounds like he didn't really give a lot, though. Because yeah. That, that message that was earlier in Feb, he had said, look, I'm struggling with this. You know, he had been very open with you, but it seems like that week... He had really, he was withdrawing. He was shutting yeah. down. Yeah. So he, he didn't, it seems like he didn't really give you anything significant to go with that week. He just started withdrawing. Yeah, absolutely. And I think in hindsight, it all makes sense. In in, in that moment, though, when he said that message, I kind of said, okay, all good, Mike, no worries, maybe another time. Yeah. In hindsight, and that's, I think that's the thing, especially when it comes to suicide, people the, the hindsight is what gets everyone because everything to in hindsight is like, wow, just miss after miss for me or dismissing, which in the moment, that was how you meant to know. But afterwards I'm like, oh, that makes sense. That's why he didn't rock up for that lunch. And given what he'd sent me on the 8th of Feb, and in a way I should be counting my stars in a way that he gave me that opportunity on the 8th of Feb, especially with boys, it's so hard for them to even say they're struggling. And that's why I feel like... I was lucky that as as a male friend, he, he put it on a platter for me essentially on the 8th of Feb. So I had that opportunity, which a lot, of, a lot of other friends might not even have, you know. And that's 
that's the thing. Like it, it, it took such a big toll in, but then it's strange. There was a sundowner a couple of days before he passed away, a sundowner for one of the clubs. And this is the thing with people who have suicidal thoughts is that the highs and lows. Apparently the sundowner, he was so up and about. He was having the best time. And that's the thing. I think one of the signs of suicidal thoughts is a change in behaviour. Now, people often think that change in behaviour means they start being quite sad or dejected. But a change in behaviour can literally just mean a change in behaviour. If someone's normally quite docile or shy and they're suddenly up and about, super charismatic, that's that's a change in behaviour. Mm. So that's something that I think people also miss. It's not necessarily a good thing. Right. But I didn't see him at that sundown. But to, isn't isn't that so strange? Only a few days before passing away, he'd he'd asked his dad to book him in for like a science camp. A few weeks later, he came home and he he said, "Oh, dad, like there's this camp. I need to book in for it. I need to book in for it." So he was actually planning for the future. Yeah, he was wow. planning for the future. But then, the last time I saw him, a couple of days before he passed away, I actually bumped into him at uni. We hadn't spoken that morning. I just saw him. And I was like, hey, Mike. And, wow, he just looked so out of it. And I, in my mind, I was like, yeah, he's still reeling a bit from that accusation. What do you mean he looked out of it? Can you explain that? If it was a drama production and they went up to the actor and said, we need you to look super dejected, like you just feel terrible about yourself, go. That's what it looked like. Right. Like it was so evident. He just looked so that Anyone could look at that guy and say he, he looks super sad. Right. And he couldn't find his room. It was at UWA, this room, G120. And he said, I need to find G120. In a way, I hold on to that memory. Like it's a really special one. My last memory with him was helping him to find one of the rooms at uni and Barad, can you tell us about the impact Michael's suicide has had on your life? Yeah, it's been, it's almost like when people look at history, they look at, typically look at, you know, that BC and AD or BCE, you know, like before Christ and after in terms of that point of history. For me in my life, it's very much pre-1st of March 2021 and post-1st of March because that was the day he took his own life. Everything flipped on its head. I definitely feel a lot of guilt. And I know I know that out of all his friends, the truth is I helped him the most. Yeah. And that's the thing. And do you I, feel anger towards some of those friends? Do you feel yeah, anger to, towards the incident that happened? To be honest, absolutely. Yeah. I do. And, that, and that's just the truth of it. Because I was the only friend of his that knew he was struggling, I think when the news came that he had taken his own life, it came as a big shock to the rest of society. But to me, it wasn't a shock. As soon as I found out, it was this instant feeling of it all, it all, everything just clicked. And so everything just lined up. And I was like, I just dropped the easiest catch ever. As in, that's kind of how it felt. Like, as soon as the news came, it was, oh my gosh, everything clicked. The hindsight came in a second. And I wasn't shocked. It was just, this is what happened. I found it really hard and that's why, yeah, I didn't I didn't go back to I went to uni for like a week after that. And then I made the decision to to take leave for the rest of the, sem- of the semester, which I think was a good call. Mm. Because there was so much happening outside of the university space. It was it just was not the forefront of my mind. Even within our own friend group, things were crumbling. Like 
and, and it's a, it's a lots very, of shattered pieces all yeah, around. Yeah. It's it's a very tricky one, and there's such a big ripple effect, right? With yeah. suicide, it affects so many people. Some of my dearest friends, who like my own siblings, who had only met Michael once, were so affected by this because I was affected by it. You know, yeah. but everyone, it's almost like everyone was drowning after Michael passed. Everyone was drowning their own way, some more than others. I think I was very judgmental to the way others went about the way they grieved Michael's loss. I thought at that time the way I'm going about it as well. I'm, going, I'm taking leave from uni. That's the right way of doing it. I want to talk about Michael. That's the way of doing it. This, that, that like m- many things. I almost thought there's a textbook and I've got it perfect. Then as time went on, I realised, in fact, there's not even any textbook. In school, you study math, science, English. There's a textbook. This is how you do it. This is how you write an essay, topic, sentence, this, that. When it comes to grieving, not just with suicide, with any kind of loss, there's just no right way to do it. You just <laughs> got to find what works for you. And that's why I also thought in that time that I was struggling when I was away from uni, I thought, I almost like thought, victimized myself a bit, like, look at me, like I'm struggling this, that, without realizing that it's, you know, the people that are having to support you, it's equally as big of a struggle for them. And that's where the whole ripple effect comes into it. Mm-hmm. The impact it's had on my life, it changed a lot. The relationships I had with a lot of people, people that had nothing to do with my, in in that time period, like a lot of my dearest relationships took a big hit, took a big hit. And obviously they amended over time, but it was quite a difficult time in, in in that respect. Like everything changed, my relationships, my outlook on life. Where are you now? How do you view life now? Nowadays, I remember telling myself in the early days that there comes a point where I want to start doing work in the mental health space. Mm -hmm. I made that promise to myself. I made that promise to Michael. My dream is to work in this space and and to to help others not not lose their own Michael. I've had a lot of opportunities to get involved with a lot of really special organisations here in Perth, like Man Up. Man Up is a fairly new organisation set up by two awesome guys, Gareth Shantikumar and Haseeb Riaz. And this organisation is basically, it's a volunteer organisation and basically males who are uni students, we go around to schools in WA, we go on rural trips and stuff, go to colleges, and we run sessions with the boys there, three different sessions on male culture, male coping and male relationships. And basically those three sessions kind of encompass the idea of it's just getting boys to talk because yeah. statistics show that boys do not talk as much. I mean, females are, are much more likely to go out and seek help. And at the end of the day, you know, like I think 80% of suicides are males. Mm-hmm. And a lot of this starts from the grassroots. And the grassroots meaning your, your simple kind of things when you're in year one or year two, your coach being like, come on, be tough, don't cry, or like, I can't do this, can't be a man, can't man up. Or, you know, you fall over and scrape your knee and you, your dad or someone might be like, come on, scrape it off, don't don't rub it, mate, just, just keep going. It's these little valleys that kind of build over time that lay that foundation for, you know, that phrase toxic masculinity. Yes. That whole idea of suck it up and keep moving on. Mm. It starts so small. It starts so small. Over time it grows. And then when boys get to the teenage years, they start feeling like, okay, I've got an issue, something's bothering me, but I can't talk about it. And, and that's the truth. If you, if you, if you go to a, a school and, and observe the girls at lunchtime, now this is just a generalisation, often you'll see them in a circle talking 
about more deeper things, like how they're feeling, just certain experiences, what's going on. It's, it's almost like a, a very nice way for them to unload how they're feeling. Mm-hmm. You know, it keeps their emotions in check, you know. Whereas for males, if you go watch them boys at lunchtime, they won't be talking about any of that. They'll be talking about sport or girls or games or something. Like, and they'll be kicking a ball, yeah, running around. Absolutely. They, they won't talk about that yeah. deep stuff. And, and, in fact, it sometimes scares boys when they have to talk about the deep yes. stuff. You can watch these boys in, in such a strong build, like look at them and like, wow, they're so, they look so strong. And suddenly you can ask them a question like, well, how are you doing? Like a deep question. And you just kind of watch their whole body language change. And it's, it's not a bad thing. It's not their fault. It doesn't mean they're bad. It just, it shows that for boys, it's just somehow a bit less natural to talk about those deeper things. Mm. And they it's culturally feel, less acceptable. Yeah, isn't what especially in this Australian culture. It's almost like you're a girl if you, if, if you talk about your emotions. Mm. So that's what these sessions are all, all about. It's kind of about identifying these are the toxic traits that exist in our society and, and we get the boys to identify it themselves. And it's a really lovely conversation we have at these man-up sessions where we end up doing less of the talking and the boys do more. It starts with one boy sharing one experience. It starts with just one boy and then suddenly it rebounds to a new boy. Suddenly over 30 minutes you've had like all these rebounds of all the boys suddenly feeling like, oh, he's just spoken about this touchy thing. Now that he's given me the hand, I'm going to share something. There's honestly something really special about that because in that session a lot of those tears is just the fact that they've taken such a big weight off their shoulders. That's what it's really all about. Those three sessions at the, at the base, the core aim of it, because the motto is empowering young men and redefining masculinity. But at the core of it, it's just getting boys to talk about what they're going through. Yeah. Because the more you talk, the easier it's going to become. If you, if, you, if you bottle up your emotions like a lot of males do, it explodes at some point. The statistics genuinely show that, that boys who identify, males who identify more with the traditional masculine traits have higher rates of these suicidal thoughts, sexual violence, road rage. Mm. And then there's organisations like Zero to Hero, which do a lot of work, especially with suicide prevention, intervention, which I've also had the opportunity to be part of. And, you know, they gave this acronym, which is TALK, so Tell, Ask, Listen and Keep Safe. Basically an acronym of how to identify. So the TELL aspect is can you identify a sign that someone might be having suicidal thoughts. Well, that's like what Michael sent to that message about feeling alone, depressed, like they've got no worth. That's the tell aspect. Then the ask is, that's where the big effort comes, having the, the courage to ask someone, are you doing okay? When it comes to mental illness, people's mental well-being, you don't want to be taking chances. I was probably uh, an anomaly in a way where I, I sat there and my mate came up to me and said, I'm struggling. But you're not going to be able to sit there and have someone come up and say, hey, I'm having suicidal thoughts. Mm. It's something which you have to be aware of. It's going to be the small signs. They're going to give little hints. When you do finally ask them, are you having suicidal thoughts, then the L comes, which is listen. When someone says they're struggling, is to literally do what the word said, which is listen, and listen non-judgment without any judgment. Mm. And we also can have a tendency to want an urge to want to fix it. It, it's so true. People think, here's an issue, let me fix it. But it, it's, it's about letting them guide the path forward. And, and the final point there, which is the K, which is keep safe, is then like, okay, now they've told you they're struggling, you've listened to it, now what do you do? You know, we're not trained ourselves to be able to, to deal with this. We definitely care about the person and we want them to be okay. But 
we're not a professional. So in that stage, it, it's, I think people often think that, oh, dishing off a responsibility to someone else is a sign of laziness. And I think that's what people think. Oh, like if I just say go to the GP or something, it's almost like it looks like I don't want to deal with it. But there's a way to go about it. But the truth is you've you got to be helping them more by sending them to professional help. Yes. Not di- keeping them safe doesn't mean, oh, now let me tell them, let me give it to my friend who's already lost someone yeah. to suicide. That You have to be with them until you do that changeover, whether that's taking them to the GP or even on the phone if it's an in- imminent threat. You know, you can do a, a joint call with Lifeline. You know, you can call, if it's on the phone, you can call Lifeline in that instant, you know, and merge the calls. So there's three of you and say, and explain, like, this is my friend, they're struggling, this is what I know. Are you able to talk to them? Vara, thank you so much for sharing your story with such honesty and courage. And Michael, it's definitely very lucky to have a friend like you. Thank you so much for having me, Vara. I'd like to also express my heartfelt gratitude to Michael's parents who have given permission for Michael's story to be shared in the hope that his story may help others. What we shared on the episode today does not substitute professional advice. If today's episode has raised any concerns for you, please reach out to your local mental health service and for our listeners in Australia, call Lifeline on 13 11 14. I look forward to your company next time on Mind and Soul Matters.